Ephesians chapter 5, that'd be the New Testament. As you know, the last number of months we have been looking at principles to live by. These are not doctrines, truths, right and wrong, but these are practical things that if we had them in place, it would sure cut down a lot of decisions that we have to make. Ephesians chapter 5. So to this point, we've covered 22 principles. We last few, principle of a good name. Good name is rather be chosen in great riches. If you have a good testimony, that's a good thing. Don't sacrifice your testimony for a dollar bill or to get to the front line of everyone. Also, we looked at the principle of judging. Everybody judges principle of promoting, principle of seeing. And you know, there's something about our eye that's connected to our heart. We saw that last week, what we let in our eye fills our heart. And if that's true, we need to guard what it is that gets in our heart. And God would help us if we'd ask. Having said that, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin there, chapter 5, verse number 15. I'd like to read verse 15 and 16. We'll have a word of prayer. So if you'd follow Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I want you to notice that little statement, redeeming the time. It's our word of prayer. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. Again, we're grateful for each one. It makes a point in the middle of the week to stop what they're doing, gather with believers, sing these songs, and then be challenged by the word of God again. I pray you bless each one that's come. I know that some are out of town. I know that some might not be well. Help them where they're at. But Lord, would you teach us tonight about this principle of time? Help us to take serious the time that you've given. And Lord, may we spend it wisely. Help us tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we began with that text because it uses the word time. And if you know it, and it's interesting, and most words are very easy to define. How would you define time without using the word time? Give it a try. How would you define time and not use time in your definition? Sorry? I, I can I A clock, okay. It's not as easy as think. Anyone else want to define time? Okay. That's good, because that's what I got, because I couldn't get every definition in the dictionary had time in it. I say, preacher, what is time? It's a measurement of a duration that passes. It's either measured in seconds or minutes or hours or days. You'd have thought I'd called Brother Leckman to get that, or weeks or months or years. Sometimes it's measured in decades. How many years are a decade? Ten years. Sometimes it's measured in centuries, which is hundred years. Sometimes it's measured in thousand years, which is millennium, but that's all time. And here this verse, it talks about redeeming the time. So the word time is found 620 times in, times in the Bible. So it's certainly a word that's often used in the scripture. And just about every time that we find the word time, it reminds us how precious time is. And see, a lot of folks, uh, they put off what they should do today. And the reason for putting off is they say, I still have lots of time that I can take care of it. But the truth is, the time that we have left is dwindling quickly. 
Time is precious because however we decide to spend this time, we can never get it back. We have some songs in our hymn book talk about wasted years. And that's time that was not wisely used. And that time can never be retrieved. I suppose one of the worst criticisms that someone could be given is that they're a time waster. And certainly you don't want to be that. If you remember back in May of 2017, or the end of April, I had a kidney transplant. And you know that I remained in there, as did the donor, for about a week. And once I got out, the doctor said, now, you can't go to your church for nine weeks. (laughs) I said, pardon, church is like a second home. My wife would say it's the first home. But uh, nine weeks. And so I prayed that first day I was home that God would give me a worthy assignment to fill that time. Well, it was about the second day. I did stay away from the church for one day. The second day I came to check the answering machine, and it was actually someone from the church there where Stephen Anderson preaches, and uh, Stephen Anderson and evangelist Sam Gipp were at it. They were at each other's throats. And so this person from Stephen Anderson's church called our answering machine, and said, I understand that you're having evangelist Sam Gipp to your camp meeting this summer, and I think that's a bad decision. I think you ought to cancel Sam Gipp, not a good man to have in. That was the answering machine. And I had just prayed, Lord, give me something worthy to fill my time. So I figured, okay, that's a good start. And so uh, he didn't, this guy that left a message, he didn't wait but a day, and he called. Did you get my message? I said, I did. Do you understand you shouldn't have evangelist Sam Gipp? I understand that's what you think. Why? Why would you say that? He claimed that Brother Gipp in a message had made a statement and claimed that that statement was heresy. I said, I've never heard him make that statement. I said, give me the name of the message and give me the minute in that message where he made that statement. What proceeded from that was 29 emails back and forth. He'd say something, I'd say something back. He'd say some longer something, and I'd say something longer, longer back. He continued to insist that Brother Gipp had made the statement, and I continued to insist that unless you can tell me where in the message he made it, that I don't believe it. I think you're lying. Well, that just increased. It went back and forth. Finally, when we got to email 20, Stephen Anderson himself stepped into this communication. And he, he said, listen, I, he said, I'm just trying to help your church. Now, he couldn't see me, but I was going, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was trying to hurt our church. And so I said, uh, sir, I said, Give me the one minute before and that where that statement was made and one minute after. And he said, anyone could find it if they listened to the message. And I said, well, I can't, so obviously not anyone. Where is it? He'd say, I'm going to pay to have a professional transcriber transcribe the whole message so you can read it for yourself. I wrote back. I said, don't spend all that money. Give me the transcribed minute before he said it, the transcribed minute that he said it, and the transcribed minute after. I said, only pay for three minutes. Why would you pay for 43? 
He wrote, no, no, I'm going to send you the whole thing. And so he paid to get it transcribed, the whole thing. And I read, the, I still couldn't find it after reading the whole thing. So I wrote back and I said, I suppose you're just like the other young man that called me earlier. I said, you're not honest. And I probably added a couple other things in there. And so I said, tell me exactly where he said it. He said, anyone could tell. I said, well, no, anyone can't because I can't. Tell me the exact minute where he made the statement. Now, what I found out is when you pin some people's feet to the floor, instead of throwing up a white flag and surrendering, they just, they just keep spinning on that nail that they're nailed to. And finally, at the end of it, he was so frustrated that he threatened to send a bouncer to our church to take care of the problem. And then thinking, what's the worst thing that he could call me? Now, I already know that he called Pastor Kyle Stevens lost. He said, you must be lost. Well, I wonder what could be worse than that. He said, you're nothing more than a TW. I wrote back, I said, your, your initial, that doesn't make sense. What's that? He said, a time waster. That's where we're getting back to that. Do you know what? I suppose the world would say the worst thing you could ever do is waste time. But you know, Paul wrote this, redeeming the time to Christians. Paul was convinced that there are some Christians that are wasting the time that God has given them. So again, if you're taking notes tonight, we're going to look at the principle of time. And you know, I'm not too worried about the likes of Stephen Anderson claiming that I've wasted time. But I would worry if someone like the Apostle Paul suggested that we are wasting time. So let's see what we can learn from this. You can let Ephesians go. Look over there in the book of Job, right before Psalms. Psalms is the middle of the Bible. Right before Psalms is the book of Job. Pastor, what can we learn about the principle of time? Job chapter number 14, we could begin there. Job 14. Look there in Job chapter 14 and verse number 5. The Bible says, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Preacher, who is this his in his days? And who is this his in his months? Well, back up there to verse number 1, Job 14 and verse 1, man. So here, if you would, and, and I think that most of us understand the book of Job, but the first two chapters, Job went through indescribable trouble. He not only lost his children, he lost his livestock, he lost his assets, he lost all of that. In chapter number two, he lost his health to the point where he was sitting and scraping his skin with all the oozing pus that was coming out. That was chapter 1 and 2. Chapter number 3, three of his friends came to visit. And everything in the book of Job, which is 42 chapters long, everything in the book of Job from chapter number 4 all the way to chapter number 37, Job has these friends. Now, it started with 3, it ended with 4. Job has four friends that are chipping away at him and saying, all of this is because you have done some wickedness in your life, and God is simply meeting out the punishment for what you've done. 
I will grant you that sometimes troubles are because of wicked decisions that we've made. I understand. But not always. Sometimes God is allowing us to go through the ringer, and only he knows the reason for it. Well, when you get to chapter 14, what's happened is one friend criticizes Job and he answers. And then the second friend criticizes Job and he answers. Then the third friend criticizes Job and he answers. Job 14 is Job answering this third friend. And again, this third friend has made accusations. So in Job's answer, he says this. Look there in verse 1, Job 14, 1. Man that is born of a woman is of a few is a few days and full of trouble. Then look again at verse five. Seeing his days, that's a man's days, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. That's with God. In other words, God has determined the length of your life. If you're taking notes, first thing about this principle of time. Every man's days on this earth are numbered. Every man's days on this earth are numbered. And so Job is saying to this third friend, God knew the day that we'd be born, and God knows the day that we'll die. God determined our birthing day. He set that boundary, that beginning. God had determined our dying day. He has set that boundary. Look there at the end of verse 5. Well, the whole of verse 5. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Now, if what I've said to you is true, and it is, each of us has a limited time on this earth. Would you look over there? You can, well, we'll be back to Job. Keep that if you would. But look over there in Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter number 90. Now, in Psalm 90, we're told how long most people's life will be. Psalm chapter 90 and uh, verse number 10. Psalm chapter 90 and verse number 10. It talks about the average lifespan of a person. Verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. How many years is that? 70. A score is 23. Score is 3 times 20 is 60 plus 10 is 70. The days of our years are three score years and 10, so most will live till 70. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, so the average life will be 70. Some will live to 80. But even if you live that long, look what your life is going to have. The end of verse 10. Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. In other words, he said the average person, the time that they'll be on this earth is 70 years. Some will live to be 80. Now, you know, that's an amazing verse. What makes it an amazing verse is who wrote it. Anyone know who wrote that? Moses. What's interesting, Moses lived how old? He lived 120. Why wouldn't he write, the average person lives 110, and those are exceptional 120, because the Spirit of God told him what to write. I'm saying to you, first of all, every man's days on this earth are numbered. I give you a second thing, if you still have Job chapter 14, look again at verse number 5. Job chapter 14 and verse number 5. 
seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. We've all heard that if you eat enough yogurt, and if you do enough yoga, <laughs> that you'll live longer. I mean, you've ever heard something like that? It's an attempt to convince you. Most times, if you buy their product, that you'll just live longer. Now, I'm going to make this statement, and I want you to listen closely. You aren't going to live any longer than God has appointed for you to die. You might live healthier, but you won't live longer. Pastor Eugen's health food, have all that you want. And you might live better, but you won't live longer. Because when you and I have an appointment with death, it doesn't matter how healthy or how unhealthy we are. That's it. That's the final day. Could I give you a second thing if you take notes? First you wrote down, first thing you wrote down is every man's days on this earth are numbered. Second thing, no man can delay his appointment with death. No man can delay his appointment with death. Well, preacher, I'm going to jog every day and eat yogurt and sleep well so I can live longer. You might live healthier, but you won't live longer. It doesn't matter what you and I try to do, although it may help us to live healthier. It won't help us to live longer because God has set that bound. And there's nothing that you and I can do to change it. Now again, by good eating habits and living practices, you might be healthier, but you won't live longer. You say, well, preacher, how do you know that? Hebrews 9.27. Help me with it. As it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this a judgment. You have an appointment with death. And you know the truth is, you can shorten that appointment, but you can't lengthen that appointment. There are some people whose life has been cut short by foolish decisions. Uh, you're there in Job. Uh, you can uh, let that go. Uh, look over there in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Again, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 17. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 17. Solomon writes this. He says, Be thou over, sorry, be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? So, folks, we all have an appointed time that God has given for us to live. You, by foolish choices, or I, can shorten that time and make that time earlier, but we can't extend that time. Many a sinner, due to foolish choices, has died before that full age. And that rich young ruler was in the prime of his life, Luke 12. He was wealthy, he was healthy. He thought he would live a long time, but God took him that night. Again, I'm saying every man's days on this earth are numbered secondly, no man can delay his appointment with death. I give you a third thing. You're in Ecclesiastes. Look there in chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. Pastor, what else does the Bible tell us about time? Well, look there in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, To everything there is a season, 
and a time to every purpose under the heaven. The writer of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. Solomon wrote how many different books of the Bible? Three. Anyone know the first of the three books that Solomon wrote? first book he wrote was the Song of Solomon, and that really is a very intimate relationship between a woman and a king. And Solomon was using that analogy to describe his love for the king of kings, between he and God, at the beginning of his 40 years of reign. The second of Solomon's books was called the book of Proverbs. That book of Proverbs was written 15 years into his 40-year reign. And how many things God had taught him in that 15 years, and so Proverbs is a book of wisdom. The very last book that Solomon wrote was a book of Ecclesiastes. That's his book. This is now written 38 years into Solomon's 40-year reign. Solomon, by this time, had tried everything. He had tried money, he had tried fun, he had tried women, he had tried wine. He tried everything in his life to satisfy him, and that's why Ecclesiastes is so discouraging. Because he writes things like vanity of vanities, all is vanity and vexation. In other words, there's no point in anything in life. That was at the end of his life. Look again at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time, to every purpose under the heaven. You know, in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon begins to list the many activities that make demands on our time. In fact, if you're taking notes, the third thing, I want you to consider all kinds of activities are demanding our time. All kinds of activities. And so look at his list, verse 2. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to fill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. I, I say the third that we learn about time is all kinds of activities are demanding our time. Now, do you know that Ecclesiastes 3 is one of the favorite passages of the world? And it's a favorite passage of the rebels of the world because it suggests that there's a time for everything. So they love there, verse number, uh, verse number two, where it says there's a time to pluck up. <laughs> so it's okay to destroy something because there's time for that. Verse number three, a time to kill. Last part of verse three, a time to break down. Like the end of verse number four, a time to dance. Verse five, a time to cat. In other words, they're saying, you see there, even God himself said that our life is going to be filled with all kinds of activities. That's not what Solomon is saying in this passage. Solomon is saying that all those activities are trying to make a demand upon your time. 
But you have to take those opening eight verses in context with what we read in verse 11. Look at verse 11, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He that hath made everything beautiful in his time, also he has set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. He is not by any means saying that we need to make time for every one of those things. He's saying every one of those things wants to get into our heart. But if we let every one of those things into our heart, we'll never desire God. We'll have no time for God. Again, look at verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart. Well, folks, you don't want the world in your heart. But if you entertain all of those things, that's what your heart will be filled with. Say, well, what's the problem with that? So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I say the third thing that we learn is all kinds of activities are demanding our time. And he's not saying that we should chase all those things. He's saying that you're going to have to make some wise choices. I don't have time for that. Because I want to spend my time on something that has more eternal purpose. Not all the demands on our time are evil. Some are expected. Some are part of life. If you're married, your spouse demands your time. That's expected. That's why 1 Corinthians 7 says that if you're unmarried, you can care for the things of the Lord, how you can please Him. But as soon as you get married, now part of your time is taken up with that one that you're married to. So our spouses demand our time. Our children demand our time. And isn't it so easy to get so busy that we have no time for even our children? I, I heard of this very heartbreaking story about a little boy. His daddy was always busy. One day that boy walked up to his dad, Dad, how much money do you earn in an hour? That dad, impatient as he was, said, I don't know. Well, Dad, I guess. And he said, well, I guess I make about $50 an hour when I'm working. Now, don't bother me. That little son, he, for the next couple of weeks, he did some odd jobs around the neighborhood. And finally, he approached his dad one evening and said, Dad, here's $25. Can I buy 30 minutes of your time so that we can play together? That's a sad statement. I'm saying there are all kinds of things that are demanding our time. It doesn't mean that you can't do some, but if you fill your heart with all those things, you won't have any time for God. I give you four things. Look there in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. We're trying to learn about the principle of time. Every man's days on this earth are numbered. Secondly, we've seen no man can delay his appointment with death. It's coming. You can't change it. You can't move it. You might bring it closer, but you can't push it further. Third, all kinds of activities are demanding our time. And if you let your heart be filled with every activity that comes your way, you will miss God. Fourth thing, 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17, 
And there the Bible says, If ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So if you acknowledge God the Father in your life and you recognize that one day you will be judged by him for what you do, then you better pass the time that you have on this earth in fear. Say, preacher, what do we fear? Fear wasting our time. I'm sure you've heard it said, someone walked up to a grave marker. As most grave markers, they have the date of birth and they have the date of death. And somebody commented the most important part of that sentence is that little dash. What you did between your birth and your death. And again, this whole message on time is if you let the world dictate what your dash is filled with, you'll never get a hold of God. I say the fourth thing that we learn about time is the wise Christian will fully devote himself to God. Now, we know you have jobs. We, we know you have lawns to mow. We, we know you have tasks to do, children to raise, a wife or a husband to love. Understand all of that. But a wise Christian recognizes that uh, his time is so short. Compared to all of eternity, our time in this earth is very short. And if everything that we've done will one day be uh, weighed wise as a Christian who devotes all that he can to God. Do you know the time invested with God, loving God, learning God, obeying God, all of that will bring eternal rewards you know, as we witness to people, most of them have no time. And they'll tell you that, I don't have time for this. And the truth is, they have the same amount of time that you do or that I do. But they have made a decision that they don't have time for God. As much as we can confidently say that of those who are lost, how much time do you have for God? How much time do you have to find out God's will for your life and God's way for your life? You know, the question isn't, do you have time? The question is, with as many days and weeks and months and years as he's given, what are you doing for him with that time? Did you make time today for him? Did you make time today to find out what he wants you to do? And did you obey it? You know, I, uh, there was a sign in a window, and it read, Boy Wanted. It's a window of a business. And there was a young boy walked by, John Simmons. He was very lazy. But here he saw an opportunity to make some easy money. So he walked into that store, and he was quickly hired. The owner, Mr. Peters, hired him. Well, the, the work that day was pretty easy. He was pretty leisurely, enjoyed the job. Well, right about the middle of the afternoon... That Mr. Peters said to this young John Simmons, he said, I'd like you to go up to the attic of this business. Go up there, and he said, uh, it's a dingy place, cobwebs. He said, you'll probably even find some mice. But he said, there you're going to find a long, deep box sitting on the floor. He said to this young man, he said, I want you to sort out all the contents in that box. 
and I want you to decide what we should save. And so sure enough, John Simmons goes upstairs to the attic, finds a large container It seems to be nothing in it but old junk. And after a few minutes, he went back down to the ground floor, and the, the owner said, well, did you complete the job? He said, no. He said, it was dark, it was cold. I didn't see it was worth doing. So at the close of that day, the owner paid him and said, don't ever come back. You've wasted your time and my time. Well, the next morning, the sign's out again. Boy, won it. And who walks by but another young man, Crawford Hill. And Crawford Hill walked inside. He said, I noticed that sign. I'd like to work. And so the owner, John Simmons, I'm sorry, the owner, Mr. Peters, he hired Crawford Hill. And about the middle of the afternoon that day, he said to this young man, he said, now I want you to go up to the attic. He said, it's, it's dingy and full of cobwebs. Might even find some mice. But he said, you're going to find a long box that's up there on the floor. And he said, I want you to open it up. And he said, I want you to separate all the items that are in there. And he said, I want you to decide what's valuable and what's not valuable. And so sure enough, the young man did. And it wasn't long until he raced down the same set of stairs, all excited. And he held up a $20 bill. And he said, at the very bottom of that box, he said, I found this. What would you like me to do with this? That owner, Mr. Peters, smiled right across his face. He said, son, you can keep it. Because while you found a $20 bill, I found a young man that was conscientious enough to do what he was told to do. And he said, young man, he said, you can come back tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. You know, that young man became the successor of that business. And Mr. Peters, later in his life, looking back upon that, he said, you know what? Uh, he said, that young man is now the successor of our business because he found a fortune in a junk box. And then he corrected himself. He said, no, actually found a fortune in his mother's Bible because he heeded the verse that his mother had read, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Now, you know, in this, and I'm just about done. In this Christian life, there are some things that we have to do. If you have a family, you have to support that family. If you have children, you have to spend some of your time raising those children. There are some things in this life that you have to do. But, you know, somewhere along the line, you need to decide there is not everything in this world that I'm going to be able to do. There are some things I just don't have the time to do it. Not that they're wrong. It's not that they're all evil. It's just I only have so much time. And you're going to have to ask God to give you wisdom what to do with that time. We read in Psalm 90, verse 10, where Moses said, most will live to 70, some will live to 80. But you know what Moses wrote two verses after Psalm 90 and verse 10? In Psalm 90 and verse 12, he wrote, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In other words, Moses said, you know what, Lord, I only have so many days. 
I can't do everything that this world calls me to do. Lord, would you show me what you want me to do? And whether anyone else does it or not, God, I'm all ears. And Lord, whatever you say, whether I understand it or not, that's what I'm going to spend my time doing. And just like that second boy, his name Crawford, as he got into that box that looked like a useless task to do, as he got doing that task, he found some treasures. And it started with a $20 bill, and it ended with him becoming the new owner of a business. He was blessed by recognizing I need to spend my time wisely. What of the first boy? We thought, what a waste. He was paid for the day and headed down the road. Whatever happened to his life? Nobody knows. What happens in your life and mine depends on what we do with our time. We only have so much. We only have so much. We have to make a decision what we're going to do and what we're not. May God help us to use our time wisely for God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this simple principle. Lord, how many people it seems that we watch, day after day they're wasting their life. No, not always sin. Not always evil. In fact, many of the things that they are doing are no different than the rest of the world is doing. Lord, it's just not eternal things. It's just not spiritual things. It's not things that God has told them to do. And Lord, if, if we can't do everything, would you give us the wisdom to ask you how we ought to number our days, what we ought to put a priority on, that our life wouldn't be a wasted life, and that our years wouldn't be wasted years. Help us to be wise with our time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.